Section 1 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 24. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 1. Manfred. In this dramatic poem of Byron's, one of the most powerful and remarkable productions of his singularly gifted mind, the fearful power of conscience is wonderfully portrayed. The omnipotence of the secret monitor is perhaps nowhere exhibited in stronger light except in some of the inspired writings where it is said, the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever. How lamentable that such an intellect as Byron's should have been so perverted, that with such astonishing powers to spread an influence over other minds, so much of that influence should have been of a baneful character. True, there are many palliating circumstances in his life that call upon us to throw the veil of charity, in some degree, over the obliquities of his character, but this does not render the effect of a large portion of his writings any the less lamentable. The leading idea that runs through Manfred is the terrible writhing of an outraged conscience. Count Manfred a being of high intellect and indomitable will, has been guilty of some monstrous but not very clearly defined crime, and wanders about the earth in the most awful agony, seeking for oblivion. He calls upon the spirits of the unbounded universe, all but the great supreme, and invokes them to bestow upon him forgetfulness, but none of them can aid him. They tell him he may die, but that will not bring forgetfulness, for they are immortal and do not forget. In some of his last agonies, demons assail him, but he defies their power. His language to them is, I bear within a torture that could nothing gain from thine. The mind, which is immortal, makes itself requital for its good or evil thoughts, and is absorbed in sufferance or in joy, born from the knowledge of its own desert. The point of the poem, which is illustrated in the engraving, is where he has invoked and commanded spirits to appear to him, till at last one appears in the shape of a beautiful female figure. Manfred exclaims, O oh God, if it be thus, and thou art not a madness and a mockery, I yet might be most happy. I will clasp thee, and we again will be... Here the figure vanishes, and Manfred falls senseless. A voice is then heard to utter the following incantation, which for thrilling power and vigour of thought is hardly surpassed by anything in Shakespeare. When the moon is on the wave, and the glowworm in the grass, and the meteor on the grave, and the wisp on the morass, when the falling stars are shooting, and the answered owls are hooting, and the silent leaves are still in the shadow of the hill, 
shall my soul be upon thine with a power and with a sign though thy slumber may be deep yet thy spirit shall not sleep there are shades which will not vanish there are thoughts thou canst not banish by a power to thee unknown thou canst never be alone thou art wrapped as with a shroud thou art gathered in a cloud and for ever shalt thou dwell in the spirit of this spell though thou seest me not pass by thou shalt feel me with thine eye as a thing as though unseen must be near thee and hath been and when in that secret dread thou hast turned around thy head thou shalt marvel i am not as thy shadow on the spot and the power which thou dost feel shall be what thou must conceal and a magic voice and verse hath baptized thee with a curse and a spirit of the air hath begirt thee with a snare in the wind there is a voice shall forbid thee to rejoice and to thee shall night deny all the quiet of her sky and the day shall have a sun which shall make thee wish it done from thy false tears i did distill an essence which hath strength to kill from thy own heart i then did wring the black blood in its blackest spring from thy own smile i snatched a snake for there it coiled as in a break from thy own lip i drew the charm which gave all their chiefest harm improving every poison known i found the strongest was thine own by thy cold breast and serpent smile by thy unfathomed gulfs of guile by that most seeming virtuous eye by thy shut soul's hypocrisy by the perfection of thine art which passed for human thine own heart by thy delight in others pain and by thy brotherhood of cain i call upon thee and compel thyself to be thy proper hell and on thy head i pour a vial which doth devote thee to this trial nor to slumber nor to die shall be in thy destiny though thy death shall still seem near to thy wish but as a fear lo the spell now works around thee and the clankless chain hath bound thee o'er thy heart and brain together hath the word been passed now whither the next scene presents to us manfred alone upon the cliffs of the mountains of jungfrau complaining that the spirits which he has raised abandon him and the spells which he has studied baffles him the entire scene which follows is one of terrific grandeur and beauty we dare say that no person who has ever read this wonderful poem has failed to be deeply impressed with its powerful and thrilling language 
and at this moment it would be difficult to call to mind many productions of modern days that will bear reading so often those of our readers we think who study our engravings cannot but admire the boldness and vigour of the artist's conception and its truthfulness to the awful subject which it illustrates how seriously are we led to reflect upon what the mighty genius of byron could have effected had his moral faculties not been blighted in the bright springtime of his youth End of section 1. Recording by Alan Mapstone.